preacher, man. All right, let's take our Bible tonight, turn to Exodus chapter number one this evening. I want to say while you're turning that I love your preacher and his wife and his children, uh, his, even his son-in-laws, uh, and now his grandchildren. And uh, so <laughs> I do love them. They've been dear friends of ours for years. And uh, if you've got a problem with your preacher, don't come tell me about it. And because uh, we won't, it won't end well. And uh, I promise you that. And I'm not saying that lightly either. I'm not just up here saying words. I love your preacher and his family. I love this place. I've been uh, been around here, I guess, about as long as your preacher has. He invited us up here for the first jubilee, and uh, we were able to come and been here ever since. And so this is just like home for us. And y'all have always made us feel at home here. And uh, my family and I uh, thoroughly enjoy coming here each and every time we're able. When we're home, when we come uh, back here, as far as being home is concerned, to see family, we're always, we always come here. And then with Jubilee and things of that nature, I would say this to you as well. I don't think Bible Baptist Church understands the impact that you have, um, that the Lord has used this church to make on, on our church back home. Um, our church thoroughly enjoys coming to Jubilee and having a part uh, in the meeting, and uh, we it's just a highlight of our year, and I sure thank you for allowing us to be able to come and uh, and be a part of it. I want to thank the uh, student body and the staff who ever put the gift bag together today. Uh, I appreciate you doing that, and uh, there's several things in there I've had to steal from my wife, um, but I, I do appreciate the gifts and uh, your kindness to us. We had a great chapel service this morning. And uh, I trust that it was a help to you. And we've been praying and asking the Lord to help us tonight. And again, I want to echo what the preacher said uh, concerning the message last night. We need it. I need it. You need it. We all need it. And uh, you, this is eternal business. And um, no preacher, no preacher should take coming and getting behind the pulpit lightly. This is not a job. It is a calling. And we're dealing with eternal business tonight. And if any, anything is going to be accomplished this evening, God's going to have to be the one that will accomplish it. And He can do it and He will do it, but the obligation on our end is to allow Him to do it. I appreciate you being here. I realize that you have worked all day and you have made time to come to the house of God tonight. And I want to thank you for doing that. Exodus chapter number 1, if you found your place, say amen. amen. Lord, we need you. We want you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help me to preach the truth of God tonight in the love of God and in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. I pray you'd anoint me with fresh oil and I pray your will will be done. I pray folks will find encouragement and I pray sinners would find salvation. And I pray tonight that you'd take us beyond ourselves and I pray that your will will be done in our hearts and lives for Jesus' sake and your glory. And we'll thank you for all you accomplished in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. 
Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they, all, they join also under their enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And I just pause right here and say this. The devil has never been able, no matter his tactics, he's never been able to snuff out the church or the people of God. Now, I'm not asking for persecution, but I'm not so sure that it wouldn't do the church in our generation, in our day, to face a little bit of it. We have been so spooled to death in America, and I thank God for what He's given us in this country. But I'm going to tell you where the church is really growing. The church is really growing in places where they've never had the gospel, places where they have faced fierce persecution and places where it has been very dark for long periods of time. God is moving in great ways, but in this nation where we have had it so good and the blessings of God so long, people have become content. The church has become lukewarm. And I think if God would allow just a little bit of persecution to come, there may be a whole lot of people hit the exit, but what we have left over would be real good and people would learn how to pray and seek God and depend on him and we'd see God do something amazing again and they were grieved because of the children of Israel verse 13 and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all the manner of service in the field and all their service wherein they made them serve was with Rigor. I've been preaching a series in our Christian school uh, since the beginning of the year on seven sure enemies. Seven sure enemies. And ladies and gentlemen, here's one thing I've learned about an enemy. An enemy is one thing that nobody wants, but everybody has. Now, I don't care how good you try to live and I don't care how good you try to carry yourself. You're going to have enemies. And there's one enemy in this life that for sure we all have and that's the devil himself. And the devil, what the devil's going to do is see to it that he raises up other enemies in your life uh, so that you, basically what he's trying to do in your life is to get you sidetracked from serving God and fulfilling the will of God in your life. And so he raises up enemies to uh, withstand you, to keep you from fulfilling what God desires in your life. This evening I want to look at one of those enemies that we're presented with in Exodus chapter number 1. And he goes by the name of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a title that is given to the king of Egypt. It is just a simple title. Several men uh, have been given this title. You know, several Pharaohs have come along through time. And, and so it's just a title, but we know this king by this name. And as we examine this Pharaoh tonight, my subject matter will be this, the enemy of stubbornness. The enemy of of stubbornness. Now, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel I didn't think that I'd get a whole lot of amens uh, on the outset and probably won't get a whole lot of amens through the sermon. But ain't it amazing how God sets a service up for a particular sermon in a particular time? On Monday night we were way up here. But tonight God's not let it get off the ground too high. 
And it's been real level and it's been real steady through this evening. And I figure God has set this thing up because He knows what needs to be said. The word stubborn by definition means this, having or showing dogged determination not to change one's attitude or position on something, especially, now it'd be one thing if somebody said, well, preacher, I'm telling you, I'm not changing the way I feel about that. That's about the blood or about the, that's not what we're saying tonight. That's called conviction. That's called truth. But it's having or showing dogged determination not to change one attitude or position on something, especially in spite of good arguments or reason to do so. It's one thing for you to say, man, I planted my feet. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not changing my mind unless there is a real good argument for you to change your mind. Here's what I mean. There was a day in my life you couldn't have convinced me to go to church. You couldn't have convinced me that I needed to preach the word of God. But I'll tell you what happened. The Holy Ghost showed up one day in my life and convinced me. He gave me a real good argument uh, for me to not be so stubborn about my lost condition. What was the what was the argument? He said, you're lost and headed to hell and I'm a real good Savior and if you'll follow me, I'll change your life for time and all of eternity. I want you to, I could have kept my feet planted. I could have said no to him. I could have gripped the pew. I could have been stubborn in my sin and there's no telling where my life would be tonight. I may even be in hell but thank God friend he helped me to get over my stubborn condition and I got saved by the grace of God but I'm telling you, you can still be stubborn even in your Christianity. It also means difficult to move or remove or to cure. Stubborn. The enemy of stubbornness. There's three simple things that I want you to notice about Pharaoh tonight and uh, that I'd like to bring to your attention. Now, here's what I know. I know stubbornness can run in any age group. So it doesn't matter how young you are tonight or how old you are, you can be a stubborn person. I know that stubbornness, can you can be stubborn no matter if you're saved or if you're lost. So it doesn't matter if you go to church, don't go to church. If you read your Bible or you don't, uh, you can still be a stubborn individual. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Stubbornness has nothing to do with the female character or the male character. So, sir, don't look at your wife tonight and say, that man of God is preaching to you this evening. I'm going to turn my hearing aid off. You let me know how it goes. Ma'am, don't look over and elbow your husband and tell him that, hey, you better pay attention tonight and take good notes because we come tonight, God knew you needed what he's going to say. Stubbornness, the enemy, it is an enemy in our lives. And I want you to see how it affected Pharaoh in his life. There's three things. Number one, I want you to see Pharaoh and his number. Pharaoh and his number. On Monday night, we talked about the ark and its number. And we noticed on Monday night that the ark had a number and it was the number one. The ark representing the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one ark. There was one window in the ark. There was one door to the ark. Jesus is the one, the true and living God. He's the only way to heaven. He's the door. He's the light. He's the entrance. He's everything. He is one. And had Pharaoh's number been one, We'd be talking about a different story in Exodus chapter number 1 tonight. 
We'd be preaching a different sermon. We'd have to go look for somebody else in your Bible to deal with this subject matter tonight, but his number is not one. When you read about Pharaoh and his life, there is a number to me that is always associated with Pharaoh's life. Do you know what that number is? It is the number 10. 10 in your Bible, the number 10 in your Bible is the number of testimony. And do you know what Pharaoh's testimony is? When you read about his life, this particular Pharaoh, he is a stubborn individual. He shows dogged determination not to change no matter the evidence that is presented to him. I met a lot of Baptists like Pharaoh. I preached to a lot of people like Pharaoh. I had to I hate to tell you this, but I've looked in the mirror and I, uh, the mirror and I've seen Pharaoh at times staring back at me. Pharaoh, what's the matter with you? I'm stubborn. Pharaoh and his number, the number 10. You say, preacher, where do you get the number 10? Well, I won't take you through the other times, but there is 10 distinct times that Moses comes before Pharaoh and he says to him, God said, let my people go. And you find Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's responses are many, but he's like, who is God? Why should I let them go? And I'll deal with that in a moment. But every time that Moses comes before him, he says, no, don't think I'll do it. Matter of fact, there's a couple of times he starts out and he says, I'll tell you what, you, 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 we'll let them go and if you'll do this. Or he began to negotiate about how he would let them go. Then he changes his mind about letting them go. He gets stubborn every time that God, every time he refuses to let him go, here's what God does. He sends a plague. Every time God sends a plague uh, upon that land, he is dealing with a particular God that the Egyptians worship in that land. And he shows himself to be greater and mightier than any of their gods in that land. I mean, I'm telling you, it would have done me when, if Moses would have walked up in front of me and he throwed that uh, rod on the ground and it became a snake. Uh, I'm telling you, man, it had been like, hey, go ahead. I'm not, I'm not in the snake handling business. Take in people as far as you want them to go. But he called his magicians in. He said, if you can do it, I can do it. He said, if you can do that, I can top it. I can do it even better. He said, boys, throw your, throw your stick down. And they threw theirs down and theirs became serpents. But when that, so when Moses' serpent ate the other serpents, uh, I think I'd have backed up and said, hang on just a second. I ain't never seen that happen before in all my days. I tell you what, load them people up, get them out of this country. But you know what he did? Son, I'm telling you, he hunkered down. He gripped the back of the pew. Uh, he looked a man of God right in the eye. He said, not today, not today. Are you listening to me? You better listen, listen, look up here at me. You better be careful when the man of God mounts the pulpit and preaches the word of God to you and you grip and you grab and you look him eyeball to eyeball and you ain't about to move. Heaven and earth can be set on fire. Earth can be set on fire and everybody be raptured out and you still ain't moving. You ain't gonna budge. You're not moving on anything even though there's been good evidence for you to move ten times every time he gets more stubborn every time he gets harder and harder and harder each time I mean that would have been enough for me I think but then the next the next time when the plagues begin to start Every plague gets worse. 
Every plague gets worse. But he keeps getting harder. More stubborn. And God is trying to give him good evidence, good reason to let him go. But every time Pharaoh hardens his heart, ten times, and he still doesn't let him go. Here's what the Bible said in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than that of the fat of rams. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand uh, God's pleased with you being here. Yes, understand that. God's pleased with you coming to church and tithing. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there is an element to our life that God is ultimately pleased with and that is when you and I obey Him uh, and obey that Bible in our daily life and living. Uh, I'm telling you, I've pastored long enough now, friend. I've preached to people over and over and over again and I've seen the look in their eye I've watched the Holy Ghost walk down the aisle turn in their pew and deal with their heart and they'll look at me and if they could have got their hands on me while I was a preaching they'd have killed me sure as I'm living but I'm telling you I've watched God deal with them and I've watched them bow up on God I've watched them hunker down I've watched them get stubborn even though there's been good evidence given to them Can I ask you a question tonight? Let me ask you a question. How many times does God have to speak to you to really get you to respond correctly? Let me ask it again. How many times does God have to speak to you to get you to respond correctly? After the tenth time, after the tenth time, now you got to understand, the tenth time brought upon a lot of death, and it wasn't just in that. The firstborn was going to die. Not just not. And we think sometimes we read that passage that it's 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 the little bitty children, the babies. But no, 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 no. It was the firstborn in every household. Are you listening to me? And the firstborn died, and here's what Pharaoh said. He said, "Get them up and get them out of here." Get them out of here. Get them gone. And I'll tell you something. They were so convinced finally that they paid their way to leave. They said, here, take everything we got. But the one thing we want you to do is leave. Here's the amazing thing. After 10 plagues and the the firstborn dying, here's how stubborn he was. They get gone and Pharaoh said, what in the world have we done? Go get the horses, hook all the chariots up, get the soldiers ready, and let's go get them. You talk about stubborn, friend. you you got to understand something. This preacher ain't against you. I'm not against you. God's not against you. We're for you. God's for you. I'm going to tell you something. When you pick a fight with a man of God, you just pick the fight with God. You didn't pick a fight with him. You didn't pick a fight with me. You had picked a fight with God Almighty. It wasn't Pharaoh, honey. God, Pharaoh, I mean, Moses wasn't fighting Pharaoh. But God was up to the task and Pharaoh wasn't going to win. Ten times finally he obeys. Can I ask you, how many times does it take God 
to get you to obey him correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Say something to parents. I'm not, I'm not a perfect parent, never claimed to be. But if you do not teach your child how to obey the voice that they can see, don't be shocked when they grow up and never obey the voice they cannot see. Okay, little Billy, don't do that again. That's great. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But after the 14th time you've told little Billy not to do that again, something ought to change. Something, there are consequences to stubbornness. And there's some people sitting here tonight that God has dealt with you time and time and time and time and time again about some areas of your life and some things in your life and your home and your family. You still ain't let it go. You've got a death grip on it. What's it going to take? He goes after them, pursues them. Had He had to be delusional. Followed them off into the Red Sea. I would have stopped at the edge and said, now wait a minute. If that thing's standing up on, who done that? I mean, surely you stop and, and ask yourself, if, if somebody, if whoever stood this up, when are they going to bring it back down? Did he really think? Yeah, I'll tell you, he really thought it. I'm way ahead of myself tonight. I may just preach this one point and be done. Ten times. How many times did it take your mom and dad to tell you something before you'll obey them? Obedience is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't care how much you shout in church. If you don't obey, you ain't got much of a shout. Amen. I don't care how much you run the aisles. I don't, care what, I don't care how many King James Bibles you got sitting on the yes, shelf. Man. Your obedience tells on you. That's right. I care if you keep a good haircut, wear a dress so long it drags the ground and you got you to wad it up in a knot like they're doing nowadays. No, I better not. I ain't seen nobody's dress. I don't know what you got on Better be careful. I got to watch. I get ahead of myself. <laughs> I don't care if you wear sleeves to here and you're, uh, you, you never get your hair cut and you, your hair drags the ground and you. Uh, I don't. It, I'm telling you, obedience, obedience speaks more than any of those things. You say, "Oh, preacher, I thought I thought that that may, that may be an element of obedience, but there's a lot of religions that do all of those things. They just don't obey that book, though. That's right. Their doctrine's all messed up. Their obedience is messed up. How many times, boys? How many times does it take for your parents to say something to you and you respond correctly? Girls, how many times? I know what some of your parents are thinking. Preach to them, preacher. Oh, I will. Don't worry. But the, the problem is the young people will listen to me. That's it. I preached this morning in chapel and everybody, every young person in there was in the altar praying, calling on God out loud. I can preach to a bunch of adults anymore and they'll sit there and look at you like, man, can you just hurry up? 
We got better things to do. We got places to go. We, I mean, we're here out of respect, but I'm telling no, I'm telling you, if you ever get to the place where you're willing to obey him in your life, no matter the cost, no matter what he's asked, and just obey him correctly, how many times? How many times does it take God? Ten times. Ten times. That's his testimony. So when I think of Pharaoh, the first thing I think of is his number. And let me say something to you. When people think of you, when your name crosses their mind, when they see you, you also carry a testimony. You think your pastor's crazy when he prays for you, when your name comes across his mind and his heart, when your face is in his mind, don't think he does not know. He does know. And when he goes to pray, he prays for you in one of two ways. He's either praying for you out of a joyful heart and asking God to continue to bless your life and use you, or he's praying with a grieved spirit. Asking God to do some kind of work in your heart to salvage you before you mess everything up. Then he studies and he prays and he prepares and he comes in to preach only to stand and watch you grab the pew. And and listen, it ain't about grabbing the pew anymore. It's just about looking at the man of God dead on with a dead dry look and daring him to say anything else. Stubborn. Dogged determination not to change. Ten times. Ten times. Number two, not only do I see Pharaoh in his number, but I see Pharaoh in his negative attitude. Pharaoh in his negative attitude. Do you know the one thing, one thing I have learned about stubborn people is that they all have a negative attitude and spirit about them. Just, I mean, get around somebody that's stubborn Somebody that's not willing to change anything. Their way's always right. No matter what you tell them, no matter what you show them, I could take you, if I called this preacher's name right now, everybody sitting in this building that's been in this church over the last five or ten years would know exactly who I'm talking about. I could take you to where he lives. I have talked to him. Your pastor has talked to him till we're blue in the face. But he's so stubborn. He's sitting tonight out of the will of God when he could be being used for the glory of God, but he knows it all. He's a know-it-all. You can't tell him anything. You know, one of the greatest things somebody told me when I was a young preacher, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. So you know what I did, boys? When I was able to be around older preachers and preachers and men that I admired and revered, and when I, when I had the opportunity, Brother Josh, to be around those men, you know what I did? I just eased into a chair or a corner and just sat there and listened to what those men had to say. Not anymore. Not anymore. Everybody's a know-it-all. You can't tell anybody anything. 
I could take you illustration after illustration after illustration tonight, but I got one individual in my mind I'm thinking about right now, and we have talked to this man over and over and over again. Stubborn! Setting out of the will of God. What's it going to take? I just can't move quick tonight. I'm just not. It's just not there. Stubborn. No matter what evidence anybody gives you, you ain't moving. You're not planning to move. This is a joke to you. And it doesn't, you're here to please somebody, but it ain't God. Stubborn about it. I'm going to tell you something. Look, my, your beef's not with me, but you need to understand it is with him. It is with him. And God's never lost a battle. He's never lost a fight. And he'll go a long way to get you saved and he'll go a long way to get you right, but there's coming a day when you'll drown in the Red Sea. You just keep on in your stubbornness. You just keep on not letting anybody advise you, not letting anybody give you any kind of insight about life, not listen to your parents, not listen to your preacher. There are some authority figures that God has placed over all of us. Over all of us. To keep us all in check. So stubborn. I ain't changing that. I don't care what he says. I don't care what my mom and daddy say. How many times your mom and daddy, how many times have they told you to stay off that cell phone late at night, but you don't give a rip what they say to you? How many times? Sir, how many times has your wife expressed to you what she, would, what she desires about a particular need in the home, but you're so stubborn, you think your wife's trying to run the home, and because you wear the britches in the family, you are just going to bow up on it and be stubborn about it and never change. Amen. What about it, ma'am? Your husband has expressed to you how that he would like for the home to run a little bit different in a particular area, uh, but because you, because you never listened to your daddy, you're now you're not going to let any man tell you what to do because your mama said. Yeah. Ain't going to preach a lot on that because my wife done some good preaching on that while she was down here at the ladies' meeting, so I'll move on quickly. <laughs> Wife's booking more meetings than I am. I don't. <laughs> You're going to bow up. You ain't listening to nobody. That tells a world about you. When you will not take heed. The Bible said open rebuke is better than secret love. And I'm going to tell you something. I I haven't always necessarily liked the preaching I heard. Because it was punching me right square in the nose. But I can look back over 24 years and I don't think I've ever got mad one time at a man of God preaching to me. Amen. That's right. 
I don't think I've ever shook my fist in God's face in a stubborn attitude and spirit. Did I tell y'all what my second point is? I see Pharaoh in his attitude. His negative, raunchy attitude. And I've learned when you get around stubborn people, they just have a bad attitude. They have a bad spirit. Nobody can get along with them. And here's what I've learned about that. Here's what I've learned about them. It's everybody else's fault but their own. They want everybody else to change, but they're not changing. Brother Barnes will preach tomorrow night. It'll be okay. Pharaoh and his number, Pharaoh and his negative attitude. I see, first of all, I see his attitude toward God's people. The Bible said he made them serve with rigor. And if you read the text, he also sacrificed their children. See his negative attitude. You know what the Bible said in verse number 8? There arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. That's the key. See, Joseph had died and it had been a space of time now and a new Pharaoh had come up. And this new Pharaoh, he didn't, re- he didn't know what Joseph had done for Egypt. He didn't know what Joseph had done in days gone by. And I'm just convinced, you listen to me, look up in here at me, I want you to understand something now. I am thoroughly convinced the more I'm around stubborn, hard-headed, hard-hearted people, I'm just wondering if they really know who Joseph is. I mean, it's pretty hard for Joseph to be able to have done a work in your heart. Y'all know I'm talking about Jesus. That type, Joseph being that type of the Lord Jesus Christ, for him to have done such a work in your heart and a work in your life in saving you that you cannot find a place in your heart then uh, to change and to be different, but you still are stubborn. Let me jump in right here and just say this. I, I don't know what we'll do here, but... I'm tired of this excuse. Well, preacher, that's just my personality. No, it's not. A thousand times, no, it's not. I see his attitude toward God's people. I want to tell you something. When people have this raunchy attitude toward God's people, it scares me about where their heart is with Joseph. I don't know that they know him. I gave this illustration in church the other day. We was having one of them fireside chat kind of things, you know, on a Sunday night. And God took over and he got to dealing with my heart. So I shared this. A lot of times I'm the, only, I'm the best illustration I know how to give. I don't know. I mean, I just, maybe it gets me in trouble or people look at me differently, but I'm, I just try to be honest. I remember when I first got saved and I first was called to preach, not too many, too long down the road after I'd been preaching. I, Brother Laddie, I know with my, the spirit I have now and such an easygoing personality, charismatic in my personality, not my belief system. <laughs> it's hard to believe that I had a terrible Terrible temper. Terrible. I, I, I wished I would have taken my, my spirit, my attitude, my temperament after my dad. I didn't. 
My dad's got great hair and a great temperament. I have neither one. <laughs> I have neither one. Say amen. I mean, I got my temperament after my dad's brother and after my grandfather. And, and it's not that they've got a short fuse. They have no fuse. It's, it's in the powder. And everything sets them off. I'd come home from work one day, and uh, me and Georgia were talking. I don't know. We got in this back and forth. I know y'all have never, we don't, we've never really been in an argument, disagreement. Once or twice. No arguments. Like the, the Christians don't go to the beach, they go to the coast. So we don't argue, we've had some disagreements. And I, I, at that time, our kitchen and uh, dining area were together, and we were standing there talking, and I, I was up close to the, to the countertop, and a glass was sitting there. I don't know if I was drinking out of that glass or if it was just sitting there. And I had reached and put my hand on it, and I went to make a statement, and I was mad. And Brother Laddie, I had that glass in my hand. I picked it up and shoved it back down, and it shattered into a thousand pieces. And about the time it did, the Holy Ghost said, Some preacher you are. And I knew right there something had to change. Yes, sir. Amen. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Right there, standing in that living room, standing in that kitchen, that dining room, I knew right then if I was going to do anything for God, be anything for God, something had to change, Miss Kate. With me. And I could be stubborn and say, well, that's how my family is, and that's how I've been raised, and that's all I've been around all my life. Look up here. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And I know that's talking about the devil, but if he's greater than the devil, he's got to be greater than your flesh. He's got to be greater than that old man. He's got to be greater than your past and how you were raised. That's the only thing people want to talk about. People say, well, what, God saved you from being a drunk. God saved you from being a dope head. God saved you from all these other things. How come he can't help you overcome your personality? Right. It's your personality. You want to be that way. You want to be stubborn. You've always been stubborn. You're not planning on changing. What happens is I see his negative attitude toward God's people. I'm going to tell you something. If you can't love God's people, you can't love any people. Now, I mean, we've got our problems and we got, I mean, we're not perfect, but I'm telling you this, God's people are the best people on planet Earth. I see not only his negative attitude toward God's people, but I see his negative attitude toward God himself. Chapter 5 in verses 1 and 2, here's where he said, Afterward Moses Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast of the wilderness. He said, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. He's not only mad at God's people, now he's mad at God. He's questioning who God is. You say, Preacher, I would never do that, not with your lips. Your lips is not what people's looking at. It's your lifestyle. Obedience is not lip service to God. It's life service to God. 
We have gotten real comfortable serving God with our lips in this generation. We give Him a whole lot of lip service. We know when to say amen. We know when to shout. We know when to, we know when to uh, run the aisles and we know what to say and all the terminology. But what does your life say? Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Why should I obey Him? I see his negative attitude or his, his attitude toward God's people, his attitude toward God himself. But then I see his attitude toward his own people. Through his own stubbornness, he caused those around him to suffer as well. Listen to me. Not just in that last plague, not just in the tenth one, but every plague that God sent into that land. It wasn't just Pharaoh that suffered. Matter of fact, can I say it this way? Everybody listen to me. I'll be done in just a minute. Listen to me. I want to say this to you. Miss Sheila, I would, say, I would dare say that in all them other plagues, Brother Laddie, if anybody had it better, it would have been Pharaoh. If anybody, if anybody was able to skate through those plagues and a little better than everybody else, it would have had to have been Pharaoh. He had the best of everything at his fingertips. I tell you who was suffering, everybody around him. Your stubbornness ain't just killing you, sir. It's killing everybody around you. Your, ma'am, your stubbornness, it's not, dis, it's not disharming you, but everybody that's attached to your life, it's killing them. Every one of them. And in the end, it wasn't just Pharaoh's household that was crying. It was every household. Because of one man's stubbornness. I'll tell you what's stubborn. The f- you got a double first cousin twice removed. I don't even understand all that. But I do know this. The first cousin to stubbornness, it may be pride, but it's got to be pride. It's got to be pride. Not concerned about anybody else but you. When's the last time that when we went to do something, we've, we've asked our own self, how will this affect my family? How will this affect my wife, my husband, my children? How will this affect my neighbor? How's this going to affect my pastor? How's this going to affect my church? How is it going to affect God? Yes. And how's it going to affect that sinner who needs to see Christ in my life? Stubborn. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go where I want. I'm going to talk like I want, dress like I want. I'm going to act how I want to act. You know Joseph. Number three. I see not only Pharaoh and his number and Pharaoh and his negative attitude, but in closing I would say I see Pharaoh and the nature of man. I mentioned this. I told you I got ahead of myself, but two things. Here's what the Bible said. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, wherefore let him, thinketh, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 
There's two things I want to emphasize right here concerning the nature of man. Everybody in this building, everybody from the youngest to the eldest has to deal with pride. If you don't think you have to deal with it, then just let me go to your husband and say, listen, when you get home, here's ten things you tell your wife to do right now. Snap your fingers and tell her to get it done. And, and just watch how, ma'am, watch how you react. You tell me. We all deal with pride. Who are you to tell me what to do? See, that's, that's a lot of problem in church when the preacher goes to preaching. You think it's him telling you what to do. He, it's not him. He's just a mouthpiece. It's not me tonight you're mad at. I mean, you may be mad at me, but here's what I want you to understand. I'm just a mailman. I deliver the mail. I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't send you the bill. I just put it in the mailbox. There's two things I want you to notice. Number one, Pharaoh and his position. He was the king and he ruled over all the people. In other words, you have to be careful not to allow your position to make you stubborn when it comes to principle. You say, well, preacher, I don't, I don't have a position. Are you a husband? Then you have a position. Are you a father? You have a position. Are you a mother? Are you a wife? You have a position. Are you a church member? You have a position. But let me, let me put it to you like this. You remember when you first got saved? I mean, you, know, you do know Joseph, right? You know Joseph, the one that if it wasn't for him, uh, uh, Egypt wouldn't have made it through that famine. If it wasn't for Joseph and, and, and what he did to, to, to help them, they would have all died. You do know him, right? Do you remember when you first met him? Man. <laughs> It didn't matter what the preacher preached on. It didn't matter what they sung in the choir. Why? You still had your eyes on Joseph. Son, it didn't matter, Brother David. I mean, I'm telling you, you could come in and it, she didn't even miss. Sheila could hit the wrong keys every time she touched it. The, the, the sound equipment could be just, I mean, off the wall and messed up and the preacher might stumble through his text and you're still on the edge of your seat. Just walk, your eyes, your heart, your affections on Joseph. But that's changed, hasn't it? Amen. See, this Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. And now you get down the road just a little bit. You get a little bit of Christianity under your belt. And now you think you know something. I ask you something. When's the last time you've come to the altar? You say, preacher, I ain't living on that altar like everybody else. I mean, my God, everybody, there's 10 people in this church. Every time, the, every time the altar calls given, they go running down to the altar. Look up in here at me. You are stubborn. Amen. That's right. Keep looking at me like that. I'll bring the altar to you and sit it in your lap. Amen. Am I okay? I'm just. Yeah, you're. I ain't running down there. When's the last time you come to the altar? I don't, I don't, preacher, I don't need it. 
Now let me ask your wife, when's the last time you went to the altar in your home then? Because if you don't need to come in here, you must be really doing some business with God at home, right? Ma'am, let me just stand your husband up tonight and have, have all the men testify about how much time you're spending alone with God in your altar at home. That's probably why you're not coming, right? No, I'll tell you what the problem is, Miss Sheila. I've seen it over and over again. We lose sight of Joseph, and all of a sudden we get stubborn. And no matter what's preached, no matter how good the service is, no matter how deep, no matter how shallow, no matter if it's from the chandeliers or if it's just in a still, quiet place, you're not moving. Period. You wouldn't shout if there's a snake wrapped around your neck. You wouldn't shout snake to let everybody else know it. You're stubborn. I know there's a snake wrapped around my neck. I know it's going to kill me, but I'm sure not saying nothing about it. I wouldn't just shout. I'd run up and down the aisles. I'd jump every pew. Everybody in the building would know there's a snake around my neck. (laughs) Not you though, right? You got it. You can handle it. No. You're full of yourself. You're full of pride. You've got down the road. Every time the preacher opens his Bible... And goes to a tech. Well, I've heard that before. Amen. I don't know what he's going to bring out of that passage. I've heard that passage before. Yeah. Oh, he's going to preach on that subject again. Y'all hear that? Somebody's phone's ringing. It ain't a cell phone either. You better pick it up. It's God trying to let you know you're stubborn. And it's going to kill you in the end. I see Pharaoh not only in his position, but I see Pharaoh in his poor observation. You know what stubbornness does? You know what stubbornness and pride does? It clouds a person's thinking. I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, he goes after him. What? Maybe he grew up in Colorado and he had got a hold of some of that stuff before he became the king. I don't know. What possessed him to go after him? I'll tell you what it was. Stubbornness, pride, it clouds your thinking. You don't think right. It'll kill you. Poor observation. I wonder what we'd be reading tonight if when Moses walked in the very first time and said, God said, let my people go. He said, you know what? Y'all been down here a long time. God's been good to us. I wasn't here when Joseph was here, but I know who Joseph is. And if it wasn't for Joseph, we wouldn't none of us be here. So I'll tell you what you do, Moses. Get everybody, get them out. And y'all go worship your God. Thank you for everything you've done for us. What kind of story would we be reading? But I wonder sitting here tonight, what kind of testimony could you really have in your life if you weren't so dogged, stubborn? Let me just say this. I wonder what my testimony would be 
if at times in my life, Brother Blake, I hadn't been so dogged, stubborn. Say, preacher, what I do, Miss Sheila? What I do? Number one, you got to know that you have this enemy. I'm not preaching to any one person, age group. I'm preaching to everybody. You have to know you have this enemy. Number two, when you know you have this enemy, you have to understand this enemy's motives. Now, stubbornness in itself has no motive. But the devil uses stubbornness as an enemy in your life to keep you from being what God wants you to be. And then number three, you have to trust in your defense plan. Anytime you're going to war with an enemy, I know you study the enemy, but ultimately you have to trust in the plan that you have to defeat it. It's not about your personality. It's not about how you grew up and what all these other things. No, no, no. There is one defense plan for us all. The one good thing about this Bible, it's not just for me or just for you, just for the men, just for the women, certain parts for certain people. It's all right here for us all. And if God can do it for me and he can do it for so-and-so, he can do it for you too. The question is tonight, and I'm going to tell you what you should have already done, not tonight, but sometime before, you should have already come to, the, to an altar and dealt with it. Because tonight, what the devil's going to fight you with is this right here. If you go to that altar tonight, everybody in this building is going to think you're stubborn and that he was talking directly to you. I'll tell you what I'm going to do to save face for you. I'm going to meet you there. Because I know what I'm made out of. And I know how stubborn and full of pride I can be. Pride comes in many forms and fashions. It's not just somebody standing up bragging on herself all the time. That's what we think pride is. No, no, no. Pride is found in stubbornness too. My way. And no matter the evidence anybody gives you, Brother Gravely, they didn't teach me in Bible college that when you took somebody in your office and opened the Bible to them, not the Cosmopolitan, not Time Magazine, not Reader's Digest, but the Bible. They didn't tell me that when you opened the Bible to them and tears running down your face and you pleaded with them from the Scripture, this is what God said, that they would look at you with contempt and bow up and hate you for telling them the truth. We're standing all over the building. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord God, I pray that you'd deal with hearts the way that only you can. Help us tonight, from the young to the old, from the front to the back, from saved to lost. Men and women, boys and girls, myself included, I need help tonight. I can be so dogged, stubborn in my life that it makes me sick. I can be so full of pride that I, I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it within me. Please help me tonight. Help those that have come, those that need to come. If there's somebody here tonight lost without you, I pray you'd save them by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christians are praying. There's folks in this altar tonight, but there is a place for you. 
there is a place for you. Brother Brian's going to sing tonight while he does. Would you search your heart? Would you let God have his way in your life?